Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Carving It Up Live right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. As always, I am Bryson Carver. We have got an absolutely jam-packed show on tap for you guys tonight. Parnell St. Prue will be joining the show in about 30 minutes to discuss all things NBA Finals, as well as the new story that came out this morning. Dalvin Cook released by the Minnesota Vikings, according to reports, one of the best running backs in the game is now on the open market for anybody to take him uh, to potentially add to a championship contender. I know Miami's been thrown out there uh, as a potential. Uh, even Dalvin sort of alluded to that as Instagram stories, which I thought was interesting. Everybody wants to go to Miami. Then again, come on now, do you blame him? I mean, he gets to go from Minnesota to, to Miami in December. Are you kidding me? So, listen, I, I don't blame, but I'll get to that later in the show with Parnell as well. CP3, it appears, at least according to reports by Chris Haynes, that he has been released by the Phoenix Suns, which I think, which I think is very fascinating, sort of speaks to what the market is for him right now, as well as his contract, of course. I'll get into that. Steve Kerr sending a very interesting message on the Draymond Green show, which I thought was... Uh, Telling, let's put it that way, very telling of, of, of the situation with the Warriors' young players, or at least some of them. I'll get into that. Uh, the Live Golf Tour and the PGA Tour merging, which was, I, I almost got a kick out of it uh, just from an irony standpoint. And given what we were talking about just last summer regarding this very story, I'll get into that later on today's show. But first, you know, I got to start with game three of the NBA Finals between the Nuggets and the Heat. Denver wins game three by a final score of 109 to 94. And the star of the night, obviously, was Nikola Jokic. 30 points, 21 rebounds. I'm sorry, was it 32 points? I think it was 30. 30 yeah, 32 points, 21 rebounds, and 10 assists. Uh, the first 30-20-10 game in the history of the NBA Finals. I think if there's any player, it's certainly currently playing, that were like, okay, who could who could set that mark in a finals game. It'd probably him. And I think Luka Doncic would be in that discussion as well. But Jokic, obviously a guy who's averaging a triple double this playoffs. That's, this is kind of what he does. Like it's no surprise to any of us in that regard. But what I thought I, what I found about like midway through the third quarter and even in the first half, but especially once the second half got going, 
the thing that stuck out to me the most, like if you're a guy like me, if, if you're rooting for the Miami Heat because you're a Heat fan or you're like me and you picked them to win the series, obviously you're really disturbed by the fact that coming off of a game two performance in which they shoot darn near 50% from three, they plummet down to 33% from three. And they, again, got some good looks, just weren't able to cash them in. And if you're Denver, you shot, you know, Pretty well from the, uh, not great uh, from the three-point arc. Actually worse than Miami, as a matter of fact, 27%. Here's to me where the game was won, and I think this actually goes back to game two. The, the aftermath of game two, rather. Remember I talked about it on Monday's show, what Michael Malone, the head coach of the Nuggets, what he was talking about, how a reporter asked him a question about the game and talking about, hey, was it the shooting? Was it fourth court execution, whatever? He said, no, it was effort. They played harder than us. And you sort of sat back like, whoa, that's like a public, you know, sort of uh, message to, to your basketball team there. And Denver obviously responded, here's a couple of areas that I saw. I think you could see uh, certainly on the stat sheet where Denver completely imposed their will. The one that stuck out to me the most, especially when I checked like mid-fourth quarter, I'm like, geez, points in the paint. Denver 60, Miami 34. Now, we knew this about Miami coming into these finals that they can't score down low. And this has got to be a concern if you're a Heat fan, or again, someone like me who picked the Heat to win the series, where I felt like for Miami, this would actually, I actually said this coming into game two, this might actually be the best opportunity for them to get some buckets down low. Because first round, they're playing Giannis. They're playing uh, Brooke Lopez, two tremendous shot blockers. Second round, a big man like Mitchell Robinson. Last round, Al Horford and Robert Williams, who's a fantastic shot blocker. Jokic is a tremendous, a better, I should say tremendous, a better defensive player than he gets credit for, but isn't like a stalwart down there. I mean, nobody's exactly going to mistake him for Dikembe Matumbo, exactly. So I thought that played factor in like being a perimeter team. Can Miami get buckets down low against Denver? And so far, not at all. And so it, they are sort of being relegated offensively to where if they shoot well from three, great. They're probably going to win. If they don't, they're kind of screwed. Now, the good news if you're a Heat fan is, well, you're leading the playoffs in three-point percentage. The bad news is, yeah, Denver's in second. <laughs> so, you know, you're, you're like neck and neck there. So your strength, Denver is nip and tuck with you. It's like, I think it was Miami shoots 39%, although that had to have gone down after last night. This was coming into game two, by the way. Uh, Miami's shooting like 38, 39% from three. Denver's shooting around that 37, 38% mark from three-point range. Obviously, Jokic is a threat from out there. Jamal Murray, who's being overshadowed today because Jokic was so, so spectacular. Jamal Murray had a triple-double himself. He got a last-second rebound in the final seconds to, to clinch it, but he had 34-10-10. and 10. He was actually the Nuggets' leading scorer. And again, this just... I'll get more into Jokic in, in, you know, later on, but this sort of goes back to what I've said for about a month about Nikola Jokic, about the Denver Nuggets, and I said it, and I got a lot of flack for it after game two. And people sort of misinterpreting what I was saying that, oh, are you saying that Miami let Jokic go for 41? I'm like, no, you don't let anybody do anything <laughs> during the finals. Sometimes you get a player as great as Jokic, and he's just better than you. Doesn't matter what defense you throw at him, he's going to do whatever he wants, essentially. I said, after game one, after game two, I'll say it after game three. It's pick your poison. And because Miami is so reliant on the zone defense, which they'll they'll throw a, a you know a, a one, two, two or a two, three defense, depending on what the whatever matchups Denver presents in that regard, it's 
it's all predicated on what Nikola Jokic's decision-making is. It's, okay, he's going to get buckets down low. Again, as I've said, he's got tremendous footwork down uh, in the paint. He's got a nice little float shot. That that sh- that one shot that Jokic hits, and he's he's done it for so long now, where he's got like his back turned to the, to, to the uh, defender, and he just literally just turns over and just a little, almost not like a Kareem sky hook, but it's it's almost like his version of the hook shot. It's it's like that, that crap's not going in. Oh, it's it's nothing but net. Like there's there's certain shots he throws up there. Like that's not going in. No, no, it actually is. He's that's why he's shooting basically sixty percent for the field essentially. So for Miami, it's Denver adjusted to the zone in that Jokic was able to get other guys involved. Jamal Murray was able to to uh, and and again you you heard uh, Steve Kerr who I'll actually get into later in the show. You heard Steve Kerr say this on Draymond's podcast after game two. Remember what he said? Jamal Murray is the head of the snake. And he caught a lot of flack for saying that. Like, come on, Jamal Murray's not the best player in the Nuggets. That's not what Kerr was saying. What Kerr was saying is that Jokic is going to be great regardless of what you throw at him. But if you let Murray go off, you're going to get beat. Ask the Lakers. Ask the Lakers. And again, I personally, as great as Jokic was in the conference finals, I thought Murray should have been Western Conference MVP personally. Uh, He had some spectacular, he had a big time game two and game three. I think Jokic pretty pretty much clinched it in game four in the sweep. But ask a lot of teams in these playoffs and in the 2020 playoffs what Jamal Murray can do to you once he gets hot. Ask the Miami Heat last night what he can do when he gets hot. He was tremendous last night. Again, with his his partner, Nikola Jokic, a triple-double. By the way, how about Christian Brown coming off the bench? Christian Brown, a rookie, but, but out of Kansas, by the way, won a championship last year. Christian Brown played three years in college. And so you'll see often these guys, listen, the NBA draft's coming up, and today is, is June the 8th, so a couple of weeks. We're actually going to be doing a show here on the Grid Network with my man Mike Guido and Barry Grant Jr. and potentially other guests as well. You're going to see a lot of young players come to this NBA. Where they're 18, 19 years old, it's it's kind of that way the last decade where immensely talented. They're just not physically ready, and maybe they're not emotionally ready for the league. But if you're a guy like Christian Brown, who plays at Kansas with Bill Self, one of the best coaches in college basketball, obviously, three years, you're you're an NBA-ready player coming in, and you saw that last night, Christian Brown off the bench giving you uh, uh, 15 points on seven for eight shooting. <laughs> That'll work. It's hard to beat Miami if, if it's hard to beat Denver if you're Miami when he's when he's doing that. So hats off to the Denver Nuggets. Big time win last night. But again, I felt like it was it had everything to do. The takeaway, at least for me, was obviously Jokic was awesome. Jokic is always awesome. Like he's it, it is becoming harder and harder. And I may have to revise a take I had coming in the finals where I said Jokic is probably the best player in the world in the world with the championship at this point. And I'm a Steph guy. I think Steph, and I have been saying for about a year, Steph's the best player in the world. I'm starting to wonder if it's, you know, regardless of a championship, Jokic is the best player in the world. He is truly spectacular, but he's always been spectacular. But what stuck out to me other than that, Denver imposing their physical will against a Miami Heat team that really isn't capable. They don't have the personnel to do the same. Again, Denver, 60 points in the paint, Miami, 34. There's your game right there. So big time win by the Nuggets, stealing home court back, taking a 2-1 lead in this series. Parnell is in the comments, and he'll be joining the show later today. He says, Jokic is that special. Darn right he is. I mean, again, and that's... You are a truly great player. I mean, truly great. 
when there's not a defense that anybody can throw out to stop you. Like even and this and this this is part of the reason I'm starting to wonder if like Jokic, regardless of a championship, isn't already the best player in the world. Is that there are defenses you can throw at Steph and Giannis, for example, who I think are like that two-three spot. They can't, you can't stop them. Steph and Giannis are still going to get theirs because they're that generationally great. I, I don't know what you do to stop Jokic. And it goes back to what I said. I'd much rather him go for 40 to 50 than, like last night, 30 and 10. Any day of the week. That's part of what makes him so special is he's not just a scorer. When he gets other guys involved and they're hitting, outside of Michael Porter Jr., Duke cannot buy a shot. Outside of him, everybody else, Denver's really hard to beat. Especially when Jamal Murray's going off for 34-point dribble-doubles. They're darn near impossible to beat. It's unbelievable. And Parnell says, big shout-outs to Christian Brown. He was, he was big time last night. But I, I was I tweeted her the game last time. Like, if my Warriors can... Because we've, we've, outside of Jordan Poole, although now he's too far gone at this point, we've really struggled in recent years with developing young players quickly. If we could find a dude in the draft who's as ready to play now as Christian Brown is, that would really help the Golden State Warriors. I'm just saying. I'd love to have Christian Brown, but if we could get a a guy who's – I'm not even saying that like a similar player as him, although it would help. Uh, just someone who's ready to plug and play right off the bat. That would that'd be great. But, yeah, that was um, sort of the Miami side for just a moment. Because I feel like this is a this should primarily be a Denver day. I don't think – I really don't think that game last night was a whole lot about what Miami didn't do. I don't. I think it was just Denver was better. Denver executed better. Denver, obviously, and this is the case every game of the series, of course. They had the best player in the finals. But, and it, listen, and I said coming in this series, I said the, the notion that there's just this colossal gap between Denver and Miami, I said, is intellectually dishonest. Miami, gentlemen swept the team with the best record in the league, took care of the Knicks in the second round, beat the team with the second-best record in the league, and it gets immense pressure, by the way. You go in that Game 7, all the pressure in the world, in my view at least, was on the Miami Heat where, oh my God, you're about to become the first team ever to blow 3-0 lead. You're going to choke this thing away. And they didn't blink. They came in and blew Boston out in Boston's house. Now, Denver's been spectacular as well. They've had, you can argue, just as if not more impressive of a playoff run, considering the the type of, of guys and type of teams that they have gone up against. But... But I did say Denver is better. Denver is more talented. Now, I pick Miami because they have a superior coach. I think even, even Nuggets fans would truly to goodness agree with that. Uh, they have plenty of guys who have been there and done that in the NBA Finals. And I will say, even last night, there was like a really interesting moment where both coaches took the starters out. It was like a 13-point Nuggets lead with about a minute and a half to go. And Miami cut the lead. I'm sorry, about two minutes ago. And Miami cut the lead to like nine with a minute and a half. Like, crap, guys, this game's not over. Um, I thought there was a play late. Just me personally. There was a play late where uh, Jamal Murray got the ball in the inbound and elbowed Caleb Martin. I don't think it was a flagrant foul. But if you're Eric Spolstra, you might as well challenge it. That's why I, was, I tweeted immediately after it happened. I'm like, okay, I, I don't know if it's a flagrant foul or not. There obviously was contact between Murray's elbow and, and Caleb Martin's chin. 
I had to challenge it because, again, what do you have to lose? Like, first of all, you're not really supposed to be in this game anyway. And if you win the challenge, hey, you get two free throws and the ball. All of a sudden, it's a seven-point game with a minute and a half left. And you're like, dang, Denver might blow this one. But Denver was able to, to hang on, win that basketball game. And they are up two games to one. By the way, game four tomorrow night at 8.30 Eastern on ABC. Denver is the there's favor by as, as much as they were in game three. Minus three and a half. I still will contend it is disrespectful to Miami to have Denver as a road favorite. I'm not saying Denver isn't better. They're just not significantly better than Miami. I think the playoffs have shown us that consistently. I want to talk about Nikola Jokic now because, listen, you got to clarify things. Sometimes doing this show, doing any show, whether, you know, whatever, uh, whatever area of media that you're in, people have gone on me, Nuggets, I shouldn't say people, Nuggets fans have gone on me about, hey, you know, you said Jokic wasn't the MVP the last two years. To this day, I still stand on that. Here's why I will have to revise. Jokic probably should have been the MVP this year. Now that I think about it. It's, it, it's, I said him beat all year with Jokic even in third behind Giannis, but the playoffs, what was so great about the NBA playoffs is they validate or invalidate what people do or don't think about certain players. And this postseason, I had Jokic coming in. I, I always do my top 10 uh, players in the NBA uh, coming into the playoffs. Do we have it right here? I think so. Uh, yes, sir. There we go. So these were my top 10 players coming into the postseason. You can see right there, I've got Nicole Jokic at eighth. Yeah, I think he's a little bit higher than eighth when I, whenever I do this list after the playoffs is over. Because again, the reality of the situation is that we view players differently you know, during a playoff run, after a playoff run than we did beforehand than we do in the regular season. So Jokic is minimum number two. Again, now if he comes out and 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 just lays an egg the next two or three games, then it's, yeah, okay, I'm going to have to probably keep Steph in that number one spot. But at the worst case, Jokic is two. Okay, I, I'm sorry, I have to drop Giannis' spot. He got gentlemen swept in the first round. And a lot of folks think he's the best player. So that that's, that's a knock on him in my book. But he can change that next year. I still maintain Jokic was not the MVP the last two years. In 2021, Steph took a terrible Warriors team and in a 72-game season, because it was shortened by COVID, in a 72-game season, the Warriors won 39 games. And just as a little reminder, they were 2-7 and seven in games that Steph Curry did not play. They also happened to be, ready for this, the seventh worst offense in NBA history in terms of efficiency when Mr. Curry was not on the floor. I think, I think Steph should have been the MVP in 2021. In 2022, I thought it should have been Giannis over Jokic. Again, we I felt like we changed the narrative as to what an MVP is. And that's not just with Jokic. I think we do that a lot with MVPs. That's why LeBron only has four. Jordan only has five. That's why Kobe only has one inexplicably. But how do you give an MVP to a sixth seed uh, in Denver? Jokic was spectacular that year. I, 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 I give that up. He's a spectacular player. So, like, I didn't already know that. But the notion that he was uh, just shown himself to, to clearly be more valuable just based on analytics, I don't think you give out MVPs based on analytics. I don't. Do I think we should rely on analytics to a certain degree? Absolutely. You're doing yourself a disservice if you ignore them. But to give a guy an award based off that, I think is a little much. But 
Here's why I will say it was wrong in Jokic. He should have been the league MVP this year. We can say it's a regular season award, but again, the reality is the postseason confirms or denies whether or not you should be that guy or not. It just does. Embiid, who I said should have been the MVP, won the MVP, was terrible by his standards, certainly in the Boston series, in the playoffs. Jokic has been, by a pretty significant margin, the best player in the playoffs. And what I love about Jokic, too, and there's not there's not that many guys like this. I could say Steph, and it's funny, the three best players in the world to me are, are, are Steph, uh, Giannis, and Jokic. They're all kind of like this. And Jokic is in this conversation where Lisa Salters is telling him after the game, and this isn't like new that we, we've seen with Jokic in, in post-game interviews, but Lisa Salters of ESPN asked him like, hey, you just had the first 30-2010 game in the history of the NBA Finals. And he's, he said, I don't care. I just, you know, I just, I just want to win. Like, and then she asked him about Jamal Murray, and he just goes on and on about Jamal Murray. Hey, what about Christian Brown? How well did he play out the bitch? Oh, man, Christian Brown was amazing. The definition of a team guy. And you can tell. And I'm Mike Breen, the great Mike Breen for ESPN after the interview was over, and he said it, and it's so true that – you can tell you can tell false humility pretty fast. Like I, I would so much rather an athlete be like, I think I'm the best player in the history of this earth, <laughs> than just false. Like I, I mean, I wasn't really that good. It was more about the team. Like stop it. I, I don't want you to lie. I want you to be honest in the post game interview. It feels genuine from Jokic. He's always said that. Uh, and so, listen, Denver, regardless of whether they win this series or not, they're going to be t- contending for titles for years to come. Because Jokic is not the type of superstar where, let's say, because Denver's not an organization that's probably going to attract a ton of free agents, although maybe if they win some championships, maybe they do start to do that. But Jokic is not the type of dude where if if Luka Doncic wanted to join the Denver Nuggets, per se, Jokic would be like, okay, bring him over. Let's do it. Well, Let's bring him over. Let's go win a championship together. He's not worried about, oh, gosh, does it take the shine away from me or does it – uh, I just don't know if, uh, I mean, I, I won't be the guy. I'll be like 1A to his 1B. No, he's like, bring him over. It's like Kevin, it's like Steph Curry, Kevin Durant. There's a lot of folks like, well, well Steph, like you're you're probably not necessarily like the face, the face of the Golden State Warriors. It's like, again, 1A, 1B with KD. It's like, I don't care. Bring him over here. We're going to win a couple championships. That's few and far between in the NBA. Heck in sports. Jokic seems like one of those dudes. So hats off to him again on a remarkable performance. And uh, yeah, Den- Denver's in a very good spot right now. No question about it. Not going to predict game four tonight. Going to do that tomorrow. Uh, again, I <laughs> please let Tyler Hero come back. I know I read the report saying he didn't want to come back because he didn't want to screw up the team chemistry. Please come back. I need Tyler Hero right now. Bad. It's a 20-point score. Best shooter on the team. Although Duncan Robinson might have something to say about that. I don't know. Oh, you got to be kidding me. John Rivera, let's go Yankees. Well, listen, Red Sox start a three-game series in the Bronx against the Yankees. Now, I don't know if they're even going to be able to play. I don't know what the status is. I know, John, John, you're in New York. Uh, I, I think Parnell might be in uh, – I think Parnell City's from New Jersey. I, I seem like I remember him saying that. But, listen, y'all in New York, like, God bless y'all with the the – what's going on over there with the Canadian wildfires, like seemingly just the the – the aftermath of it just migrating its way to New York. Holy smokes. Yeah, so I don't, we may not have no, uh, we may not have a Red Sox Yankees series. My goodness. Oh, that's good. John John says it's way better. Good. That That's that's awesome to hear. I don't know if it's, I, I think I read something today saying that it's migrated its way to, 
to Middle Tennessee, which I'm not I'm not in that area of the state, but yeah, definitely definitely wishing the very best for everybody involved. He said, "Yeah, it was bad. I can imagine. Like I saw I saw the pictures of the Brooklyn Bridge and of Yankee Stadium and of City Field. It looked like an apocalypse. <laughs> I mean, it was like wow. But glad it definitely glad it's clearing up without a doubt, and hopefully it clears up completely wherever it is uh, in the country and certainly in Canada. That's, those dang Cam fan guys, you know." Uh, they're just they're they're just trying to make life harder us Americans. Come on, that's my guys there. That's my guy. I love the campaign guys. Check out their stuff on the grid. Okay, I really wanted to sink my teeth into the story because I saw it on I guess it was Tuesday uh, on my Twitter feed. And I was like, oh, this is just irony can be a, a, a really humorous thing sometimes. It really can. According to CNBC, who was the first to break this, the PGA Tour, the Live Golf Tour, boop, they're going to be merging. They'll become uh, one entity. So where do I even start on this story? Because I've been, I, you know, I've seen a lot of coverage from different pundits, some that were for it, some that were against it. I've seen uh, golf fans talk about it. Most are against this and whatnot. Okay. I will say the same thing now and elaborate on it, you know, with the fact that, again, that they are joined at the hip now, essentially. If you are, if you, the uh, the viewer or the listener to this podcast, if you are the type of person who pays very close attention to other countries' human rights violations, and if any company that you purchase anything from, purchase their products from. If there's a certain cause that you are against and any uh, public uh, entity, any any business that's in any way associated with them, you just totally, you know, you're, you're out on all of it, then this segment is not for you. I'm not, I'm not here to criticize you. Like if you're consistent, hey, God bless you. You do what you got to do. To everybody else, a little bit of a different story. So people freaking out because obviously it's a live golf. For those that don't know, is a Saudi-backed um, uh, golf tour. So again, they're merging with the PGA, and there was a lot of pushback because you had first of all Phil Mickelson was really the first guy to to join the Live Golf Tour, and guys like um, Brooks Kepka joined after him. Brooks Kepka uh, just won a major recently, which I think was a big kind of turning point for the PGA. And you had all of these. You had Roy McIlroy. You had Tiger Woods, which it's funny hearing from Tiger Woods, and I love Tiger, but it was funny hearing from Tiger Woods, who's a billionaire. You know, telling guys what money they should and and should not take. And we're mad because it's a Saudi-backed league. Again, if you are against anything that is involved in any way with Saudi Arabia and you reflect that in your uh, purchasing choices, th- again, I got this isn't for this is not directed at you in any way, shape, or form. If you're consistent, God bless you. Do you know Saudi Arabia is the United States' second biggest trade partner? And have been since 1931. 1931. So Saudi money has been involved with the United States for darn near a century. Those that are 
Curious, some companies that do business with Saudi Arabia include Exxon, AT&T, Bank of America, Twitter, Coca-Cola, just to name a few. What bothered me more than, and I have, I, I'm not the type of person to, to get outraged over everything. Like to me, that's, that's what Twitter's for. Like it's, the tiniest thing happens on Twitter and people lose their mind. I'm not, I'm not the type of person to just get mad at everything. I think it's, it's a waste of energy. It's just, it's, just, it's just, you know, why are you gonna be mad all the time? It's not, it's so fun. But one of the few things in life that really genuinely, genuinely bothers me is holier than thou self-righteous people. I've talked about it all the time when I've talked about the baseball hall of fame, when they don't let certain guys in, like with the steroid thing. The, okay. We're not going to let bonds, a rod Clemens. So, so all those guys into the, uh, into the, uh, into the hall of fame. That's funny. You let my man love him. Big poppy in. You let, uh, Pudge Rodriguez in, you, you let Mike Piazza in. You know why? Let's be honest. They're nice guys. They're, they're great with the media. They, had, they built relationships with people who covered them. A-Rod, Barry Bonds, they were kind of jerks <laughs> to the media. This was their way of taking it out on them. Even to a certain degree, T.O. with the NFL Hall of Fame, because T.O. was a handful at best for numerous teams and numerous members of the media, he was all of his numbers screamed first bout Hall of Famer. He didn't get in until the third try. That was the media's opportunity to take to to go after T.O. to sort of pay back in their own way. I don't self-righteous people drive me crazy because at the end of the day, it is all rooted in hypocrisy. Those that are angered about this and not angered about certain other things. I want to be clear on that. Do you know where the shoes that you're wearing, do you know where those came from? My guess is no. I don't either. How about the clothes that you're wearing? I don't know. I'm wearing a Red Sox hat for, for those that are listening. I don't know where this thing was made. The level of hypocrisy and the holier than thou and the people acting as if they are morally superior in this whole ordeal drives me crazy. At the end of the day, and this goes to any, forget live golf, forget PGA. This goes for any business in America. We are a capitalist country. This goes for any business. It's all about the bottom line. And I would, I don't think I'm going out in a limb and saying this. The president of the PGA Tour, Jay, is it Jay Monahan? Is that his name? Say uh, the guy who was just ripping the golfers for leaving. Mickelson and Kepka and Dustin Johnson. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Funny. They get 
massive contracts, obviously, to join the Live, the Live Golf Tour. What do you want to bet the offer was by Live Golf for PGA to hop on? All of a sudden, when you're put in the position that the golfers were, oh, you jump at the first opportunity you get. And here you were for the last year ripping golfers, ripping the guys who left, and you did the exact same thing. Always in life, ladies and gentlemen, be very skeptical of people, be it in your life, be it in uh, you know, public service, whatever the case may be. Always be very, very skeptical of those who act as if they have a uh, – they're on this, this, this moral high ground. They are morally superior to you. It is often them who either have the biggest skeletons in their closet or are as, you know, do as many hypocritical acts as you can imagine. Good for Live Golf, good for the PGA. I feel like, again, I'm more of a casual golf fan than most, but they can kind of save the sport in some ways. PGA was losing its best players, they had to give them back in some way, shape, or form. And the second that they were offered a very, uh, not very similar contract, I can imagine they were offered way more than some of these individual golfers were offered. I can imagine they jumped at the first opportunity they got. All right. Let's see. We got a lot of comments, and I'll get to my guest here real quick. Uh, John Rivera. Uh, yeah, exactly. I hope they get their lawyers ready. They lost out on millions being loyal. Yep. Let's see. Uh, Grady Edwards, spot on, Grady. Whole lot of people owe Phil Brooks, Dustin Johnson, a huge apology. Making them out to be traitors. What a disgrace. Tiger Woods, I can understand why he didn't take the money. Dude can't even, dude can't even walk and is set for life. Uh, and he says, couldn't have played anyway, by the way. He says, set for life money-wise. He's, again, like I said, he's a billionaire. He says, I'm not personally pro-live. Personally, very neutral. Of course, I'll watch the PGA Tour better product, but to act like PGA is golf is flat out wrong. But to vilify those guys who joined Live was wrong. So glad McElroy got what he deserved. I took pleasure in the press conference the other day. I, I did too, Grady. It was it was truly beautiful to watch. That was funny. Jay Monahan needs to step down. All of this could have been avoided had he handled this better up front. Dude was the last one of the party and created a civil war in golf. I'm just, I'll just wrap it up right there, Craig. You pretty much summed up the rest. Uh, yes, spot on right in the money, my man. And uh, yeah, just the, the, I, I genuinely, like, I actually got a kick out of it when when it all transpired uh, Tuesday morning. Okay. Now, and by the way, by the way, um, Grady, and to anybody else listening, if you're not pro-live, that, that's fine. Like, I'm not, I'm not telling you you're wrong. I'm not telling you you're right. But if you don't like live, but you're not holding this moral superiority over everybody else, okay, I got no problem with you. It's just a matter of opinion. It's a matter of, again, you know, Grady, anybody else, uh, myself, we're not the ones being offered hundreds of millions of dollars. You're telling me you're turning that down immediately? Again, Tiger's a different situation. He's a billionaire. I'll leave it at that. All right. Ah, let's take a deep breath after that one. Joining the show now is the host of the Commander's Demand podcast here at the Grid Network. He also puts some fantastic content on social media as well, sports PSPN, Instagram, and otherwise. Would you please welcome back to Carving It Up Live. <laughs> Parnell St. Prue is joining Carving Up Live once again. Parnell, it's great to have you on, my man. How you doing? 
Good, man. How are you? Can you hear me? Yes, sir. I can hear you loud and clear, man. It's great to have you back on. And uh, do you, you you don't you don't have to comment on this, but do you have any thoughts on the whole PGA Live Golf Tour situation? I, I really don't know that much about the whole thing. I understand Tiger's standpoint to turn it down. I mean, it's obviously easier said than done if you're Tiger. After all, you're a billionaire. So if you have enough money, hey, I mean, that's up to you to decide whether you want it or not. Um, it, It's just it's all about the money. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. It's just all about the money. It's just a way to get the golfers to come play and make more money. So it is what it is. Uh, sir, I agree with you. And uh, But let's shift, though, to the NBA Finals because obviously Denver won last night taking a 2-1 series lead. I want to start with Nikola Jokic because – you know, I'm starting, and I said earlier in the show, I'm he was starting sensational. to move off the he, he, was, he was outstanding. He was, he was on another level last night. I'm starting to move off the position that regard, like, regardless of the outcome of the series, he's the best player in the world. Like, whether if Denver loses the, re- the last three games of the series, if they win the championship in the next two, to me, it's not going to change my stamp of my viewpoint. Of there are certain defenses that you can throw at, like a Steph Curry or Giannis Antetokounmpo. It doesn't stop them. They're still going to get theirs, but it's going to be more difficult. I don't know what the defense is that you throw. Trust me, Miami's trying. The Lakers, the Timberwolves, the mm-hmm. the Suns tried. I don't know what you throw at him. Talk about his performance last night. Obviously, the first 30-20-10 game in the NBA Finals, what he's been able to do all playoffs long. Jokic is just a force to be reckoned with. First player in NBA Finals history, 30-20-10. Not just him, but also let's give love to Jamal Murray, too, because he also had a 30-point yep. triple-double. Um, Jokic, there's nothing that you can do. I, I went on my sports PSP video. Of course, you see on YouTube, he and Jamal Murray are the best duo in the NBA. That that that's it's unequivocal. I don't want to hear LeBron or AD. I don't want to hear KD or Devin Booker or anybody else like that. It's Jokic and Jamal Murray because we know what Jamal Murray is going to do come postseason time. And Jokic is just a force to be reckoned with. Denver won this game because. You look at Miami's backcourt. Max Struess and Gabe Vincent didn't show up. The two of them combined were three of seventeen from the field. That won't get it done. And Bam Adebayo did the best that he could. No shame, because you're you're dealing with Jokic. So there's no shame in that. Jimmy Butler, hey, they got to do what they got to do. Miami, I think once the season is over, they got to get some scores. They got to get some other scores to help contribute for Jimmy Butler because he can't just give you 28, 30 on a nightly basis. Sure, he can give you those on some occasions, but you need other pieces around him. But I have the Nuggets winning the series in six. I had Miami winning the game last night. I thought given the fact that they were so amped up after game two back in Miami, oh, okay, the crowd, the atmosphere there, and they just didn't show up. I mean, Denver, think about it. They were 5 of 18 from the three, and they still managed to win that game because there was nothing that Miami couldn't do in the paint. And Michael Porter Jr. shot 1 of 7. He's been bad all series long. But still, they managed to win by 50. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's 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 been been bad. The, the, The shot selection has been bad. Aaron Gordon also played well, too. I mean, let's let's give him some credit, too. I just think Denver is just too much for Miami and Indiana. And eventually, Denver's going to win the series. I have 
seven and six. I respect that. I respect that. And, and I'm glad you mentioned, and I sort of talked about this with the Miami Heat, that I really don't think that game was all that much about what Miami wasn't able to do. I thought that was different game one. They couldn't buy a three-pointer. Last night, it was a similar situation. But again, as I mentioned, uh, and I felt like a lot of this had to do with what Michael Malone said after game two, where, hey, Miami just played harder than us. Denver beating Miami 60-34 to 34 in the paint. And again, that's that's been the Heat's weakness offensively all playoffs long. They cannot score down low because... Quite frankly, they don't have a ton of size. Uh, they're they're mostly a, a perimeter team, and so for game four, um, again, it's there's nothing you can do to stop Jokic. Uh, that that's a given. He's either going to give you forty or he's going to give you thirty and ten, like he did last night with a cool twenty one rebounds, uh, just to boot. But the only way you can limit him is his. The only way you limit him is his passing and playmaking. Just like what yeah, happened exactly. in game two. Even though Jokic did score forty, but he forces. And he had more turnovers than he had assists. So if you limit Jokic's passing and playmaking, that's a recipe for you, if you're any team, to win, to beat my uh, Denver. But it's just too much, though. It, it is. It's too much. And again, Jamal Murray, let's, I, I think it's safe to say he's going to be a guy who next year, as long as he just keeps up the same production, is going to be uh, going to be an all-star uh, uh, next, uh, next February. So hats off to him on, again, a spectacular game. Is there anything that stuck out to you watching that game or even through the, through the first three yep. where coming into game game four, you're like, okay, Miami can do this again. Jokic is going to do what Jokic is going to do. Because, uh, again, I talked about Steve Kerr is was talking about uh, this game uh, uh, after game two, talking about how Murray's the head of the snake. And he caught a lot of flack for that. But what he was saying was Jokic is going to be re- great regardless. But if Murray gets going, now you're screwed. Um do you think they need to consider, hey, maybe doubling Jamal Murray, making the other guys like an Aaron Gordon, like a Christian Brown beat you again? What What do you think goes into that if you're Eric Spolster? I think the they need team? to put Jimmy Butler more on Jamal Murray because if you put Jimmy Butler more on Jamal Murray, it gives Miami a better chance. Who else on Miami's perimeter could guard Jim, uh, Jamal Murray? Who has the best chance or the best odds? Gabe Vincent? No. Caleb Martin? No. No. Right, Jimmy is your best option. Honestly, I, I I mean Bam, I can't ask Bam to do that because he's you're asking an awful lot from him to deal with Jokic, so I can't do that on Bam. So if I'm Eric Spolstra, I may put Jimmy Butler more on Jamal Murray if I have any chance of winning this series. But Miami, they just got to shoot the three. They just got to be able to score and produce points. And if you're not scoring and producing points, and if you're not shooting efficiently from the three, then you're not going to win. They won game two because they were able to shoot the three well. They were 17 to 35 from three-point range. You can live with that. They live and die by the three. That's what they do. But Jimmy Butler should guard Jamal Murray more and more often. At this point, I'm not even worried or concerned at all with Michael Porter Jr. It's just hard to watch him play at this point. It's like he's become unwatchable or unplayable because given how awful he's been offensively. And um, how are you going to handle the other players such as uh, KCP and Bruce Brown? You know, because Bruce Brown, there's going to be some moments where he's going to give you some good games. And then... The bench of Miami, they didn't show up. I didn't see much from the bench from Miami that contributed in game three. I I, I just didn't see that. And uh, that was another reason why they lost. So game four, this is a must win for Miami because 3-1. Game five, 
Denver should win it. Yeah, I agree with you. And I'm actually looking at uh, the the bench totals for uh, the Heat. Caleb Martin gave you 10, but on nine shots, Duncan Robinson hit a few threes. Uh, outside of that, nice thing. I'm sorry, Kyle Lowry gave you nine as well. So you you got some production, but not when not when it matters. Certainly in that third quarter, which Denver, not just this series, they dominated all playoffs. I think I, I saw this as like the fifth straight third quarter uh, that they've won in the postseason, fourth or fifth straight that they won the postseason. But you bring a, a good point about, you know, Jimmy guarding uh, – uh, guarding Jamal Murray because in game two he did and you say well Jamal went three for six against Jimmy it's not the shooting percentage that sticks out to me it's the number of attempts only getting up three shots I mean they were blitzing him constantly forcing him on the baseline uh, to, to kick it out make tough passes often there'd be turnovers so guys get in the passing lane like again Miami and part of the reason they throw out that zone is they don't you 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 hit on it they they don't have that many good individual defenders outside of Jimmy and Bam they have to play more of a team concept so uh, that's gonna be interesting going into Game Four and uh, I certainly expect a closer game uh, I'm leaning Miami but again we'll, we'll we'll see what happens again I think Tyler Hero's availability is gonna be gonna be a big question uh, for the Heat moving forward if Shifting- Tyler Hero is actually there Miami would have more of a chance as far as what he yeah. can do as far as scoring but. When you're asking Caleb Martin and Gabe Vincent and other players, though, that's an awful lot. So if Miami has any chance of winning, they're going to have to do exactly what they did in game three. They're going to have to shoot the ball efficiently. And they need more from Struess and Vincent and Martin. Otherwise, it's over. And that's something, too. I saw Caleb Martin uh, has been... I don't know if he's got like the flu or something. They said he's been having some just intense migraines in that series. So is, is that limiting his abil- mm. abil- uh, ability? Uh, so yeah, getting Tyler Hero back would be crucial for Miami. Quick NFL question before we shift back to the NBA. So saw today that Dalvin Cook has been released by the Minnesota Vikings. And right. real quick, I get my take and then I'll get to the, you know ask your your thoughts on it. But but my thing mm. was with Dalvin Cook is that. He's a fantastic running back. I think you saw he's made five or six straight Pro Bowls. He's he's, he's one of the best in the NFL. But right. in today's in today's game, where you talk about this is a quarterbacks league, where if you don't have bare minimum a capable quarterback, if not an all time great quarterback like a Mahomes, for example, or even like a Joe Burrow, who took I I didn't think near a Super Bowl roster in Cincinnati two years ago to the Super Bowl. It shows you how, how good he is. Where. Paying running backs is kind of a death sentence in today's NFL. You look at what the Tennessee Titans did with Derrick Henry, what the Cowboys did, and you know, kind of hampered their cap. Elliott. And so with Dalvin Cook, again, I don't blame him for wanting to get his money. I, I understand that, especially being a running back. But for Minnesota, I get why they probably couldn't find a trade partner because it's again, you got Kansas City in the seventh round getting Isaiah Pacheco, and you know, he he plays outstanding in the Super Bowl. So uh, what, what's your thoughts on Dalvin Cook? Are, they, are there any potential landing destinations that you think make sense for him? I would like to see him either with the Cardinals because I don't know if James Conner, Miami, yeah. they need a running back. I think he would fit well with Mike McDaniel in the offense to help out Tua because, of course, we can't, as much as I love Tua, I can't trust Tua as far as durability. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But what it goes to show you is that running backs, the market, the value of running backs. What, what I see in Minnesota 
is that they are restructuring this team. Because as you said, it's a quarterback market. It's a quarterback era. Kirk Cousins is a solid, good quarterback, but no one expects him to be, no one expects him to take that team to the promised land. That's not who he is. So what I see with Minnesota, they're probably going to restructure this team. Heck, who knows? Try to do whatever they can to tank, get a draft pick, probably draft a high quarterback. Who knows? Because they're done with Kirk Cousins. I see them moving on from Kirk Cousins. And with Dalvin Cook, it's not because of his production. You know, he's made four, he's had four consecutive 1,000 yard seasons, 43 touchdowns in four years. The numerous consecutive Pro Bowls he's made, it just tells you that Minnesota just wanted to move on. And they just feel like, as great as he is, we can get that somewhere else. We can get that in the second round, third round, fourth round, fifth round, sixth round. Doesn't matter. Running backs are replaceable. At the end of the day, it comes down to their quarterback. And plus, their future is getting a quarterback to take care of Justin Jefferson, their number one yeah. wide receiver, who's probably going to get paid, and deservedly so, might be one day the most highest paid wide receiver in the NFL. So they're going to take care of that. But I just, I just think it's because of the running back market, the value. I believe they're going to move on from Kirk Cousins. And they're just going to restructure this team. Yeah, and, and I think, too, is that they feel like they've got, certainly the last few years, they've had one of their backup running backs in the league, Alexander Madison, uh, who you know is, is extremely productive. Minnesota's got a solid offensive line. Again, I, I see the Vikings taking kind of a step back this year. Long-time listeners of Carving Up know I'm huge on the Detroit Lions this year, but I can see Minnesota getting in the playoffs as a wild-card team, probably going, da- going out in round one. And given how Kirk I wouldn't discount uh, Green Bay, though. Oh, I would. <laughs> I think Green Bay. I think Green Bay screwed this year, man. I, I, I think uh, because again, of Jordan Love, because of Jordan Love, because of the uh, lack of depth in their receiving core, their defense is fine. But again, this is a division where you got uh, Kirk, who while we'll, we we don't ever think the guy's top ten, he's still productive. He still had a very good season uh, uh, last year prior to the playoffs. Justin Fields is only getting better and is giving you problems. Uh, Jared Goff had one of the better seasons of his career, and quite frankly, I think Matt Lafleur is one of the more limited coaches uh, in the NFL. I mean, yet, listen, we could talk about Aaron Rodgers having a down year all we want last year, and that's fair. But uh, you know, I would take I would take an old Aaron Rodgers over Jordan Love. That's all I'm saying about Green Bay. All right. Listen, I'm, I'm just. By I'm the saying. way, I know I'm digressing. I know you saw the video of the guy on the podcast I went on who claimed that Debo Samuel oh. is overrated and that there are 20 wide receivers better than him. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, did you ask him if he was drug tested today? Or on that day? <laughs> he, he believes it. He stands by it. All I'll say this is that, listen, you, you, if there's anything you could criticize about Debo, it's his availability, but I would I would contribute that to the fact that it's how he plays. He's like a running back slash receiver. Uh, the Niners use him a lot in the running game, and he's, he plays a very physical brand of football. The Niners play a very physical brand of football. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know, Parnell, if I can name more than six. Six at best, seven maybe, better than Debo Samuel. I mean, you, you're talking about obviously Justin Jefferson, Devontae Adams. I think DeAndre Hopkins is still better. Uh, I mean, are you get are you taking AJ Brown over? I, I like AJ Brown. I don't know if I'm taking him over Debo. I, I, I do. I, I do. You would take AJ Brown? Yeah. What about um Barry's dude, CD Lamb? 
My dude. I too, really like. I really like CD. I really like CD. I'm not, I'm not taking him over uh, over Debo. No, because Debo's been productive regardless of the quarterback he's had. Okay. But I don't know. We we could do this discussion another day. He he's definitely. He, there are not 20 receivers better than Debo Samuel. That I do know for a fact. There's no way. Um, shifting the NBA though, more of a more of a serious topic. I saw the um, the newest development, mm-hmm. the John Morant uh, situation, that now his camp reportedly alleges that it was a toy gun. And sort of my reaction right at the bat was, if it was a toy gun, why didn't you say it right off the bat? Uh, why didn't you come out immediately say, hey, this is not the same situation as last time. This is not. This is very different circumstances. Secondly, why is his uh, why is Jaw's friend in the passenger pulling the phone away as soon as Jaw brings out the gun? Uh, it, it's it just feels like another. Um, it's just an excuse. It's, it's an, an excuse. excuse. It's 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 once again taking accountability away from John, putting on some some other circumstances or um, you know somebody else. What was sort of your takeaway when you saw that? And I haven't I haven't got a chance to ask you what do you think the punishment is going to be by Adam Silver in the league office? Well, first of all, I do think that he's going to be suspended for half the season, at least forty to forty one games. Um, thank God that this was for Jaws situation. This is not David Stern. Because immediately no. the first time around, he would have dropped a hammer. Um, he's going to be suspended for half of the season because, again, Adam Silver had him in his office, met with John Moran. And read the statements from Adam Silver. He said he was shocked. So when he was shocked, you know, he was very hurt. So, of course, that's going to play a factor. And whether his camp or him saying that it was a toy gun, the fact of the matter is, Jaw. There's a video of you again with a gun, and you know how people are, how sensitive they are when it comes to the gun situation. Those, there are still those that are defending him because they'll say it's a Second Amendment, Second Amendment right, but the NBA is a private equity. They can determine their own rules, they can make their own rules. And John Morant is a part of the NBA. Even though it's unwritten, but still, he has to follow those rules in the NBA. I just hate that he put himself in this predicament again. You would have thought after what he went through, there's no way I'm going to put myself in that situation. But unfortunately, he did. I do think he needs some strong mentorship. I also think he needs to spend some time, a way to get himself some help. And it has to be longer than a couple of days. Because no one is going because when you look at the situation that he was in Florida for counseling, it, it, it was just for show. It was just for show. And I hate to say it, but but that's just how it is. And I just think for Jaw at the end of the day, man, I just hope he learns a valuable lesson. And it's just unfortunate because, again, he is one of the faces of the NBA, not just the Memphis Grizzlies, the NBA. And, you know, of course, that's not how the NBA they want to present and i think adam silver as far as commissioners is concerned i think he's one of if not the best commissioners we have in sports and um he's definitely going to give a harsh punishment for a jaw so i just hope for jaw he just learns his lesson not puts himself in this situation again and um you know i hate to say this but i must was that not only say about job but but what about his parents what about t Morant, because it seems like to me, again, I'm not saying that you can't be a father. I'm not saying you can't support your son. But at the same time, considering the issues that your son has been through, what does that say about you as a father? People are going to look at you and say you're not doing your job as a father. 
I mean, at the end of the day, what I would say is that, and I remember talking about this when the first incident happened in March at the nightclub, that does Ja and those people around him deserve a certain amount of blame? Of course they do. Um, you know, I know T. Moran has caught a lot of criticism that, hey, he's more of like a fan, more of like ja, one of Ja's uh, buddies than he is a, a father. What I would say is that, you know, anybody who's criticizing, hey, you're not doing your job, uh, talking about to Ja's parents, you're not doing your job, you're putting your uh, son in a bad position. I think from a PR standpoint, and I think in terms of the people he's around him, I understand that. But Ja is 23 years old. And while, you know, that some might think, well, that's that, that's young. He is an adult. Like, and he, he's been an adult for a few years now. This is now he just completed his fourth season in the NBA. He knows how the lay of the land works at this point. Uh, and I've been more critical of, of, of him than most. I remember I actually saw a uh, – and you were talking about, you know, hope, hoping a Ja learns his lesson. <sighs> If losing $39 million, not making the All-NBA team doesn't do it, I'm, I'm I don't not know really what sure. Will. The, the, the only thing that can is if he truly does love the game of basketball. I don't doubt that for a second. Otherwise, he wouldn't have had the drive to go to the NBA with the talent he has. I don't know. The only thing I can figure is no, taking I think the game it's away fair from him in that, that. I, I, I think it's fair to question that because there are times you, f you wonder with these players who are making an enormous amount of money and – Playing in a sport, you question the situations that they put themselves in. You wonder, do they actually really care about basketball? Do they really care about doing whatever it takes to help them become successful? Because if that's the case, then you wouldn't put yourself in these types of situations. Um, it, it's just really unfortunate. And Ja has to accept accountability. I, I, I do believe in personal accountability. But at the same time, I also look at the people around him. He's even alienated himself from one of his all-time friends, uh, Devontae um, uh, Pax, I think. The yeah, one yeah, who was yeah. banned from the Grizzlies, the FedEx. Yeah. Right. So, um, I, I don't know. Ja really needs to surround himself with people who will tell him what he needs to know, not what he wants to hear. As Shannon Sharp has said on numerous occasions. And um, I, I just think he just needs to get a mentor he needs someone to talk to to tell him listen you're heading down a road that you really don't want to go down to and if you go down that road there's no point of coming back and, and some have suggested that maybe a change of senior because i've talked about i i've, I've gone this uh, to, to this you know area on my show that uh look, i don't live I, I live in tennessee i don't live near the memphis area but uh listen if there's any Trust me, if there's any city, forget in Tennessee and America, that you don't want to be waving around a gun, it is that city. Again, Memphis is the second highest gun death rate in America. So some have suggested for that reason and for, because I've criticized, and, and Job bears some culpability in this, but also I think the Grizzlies, in terms of the team culture that they have allowed to sort of fester for the longest time, sort of, and I've been I've been hard mm -hmm. on Dylan Brooks, but they sort of use Dylan Brooks as sort of the fall guy when they let him go after the postseason. That maybe a change of scenery. Again, I think what John needs, you mentioned mentorship. John needs veterans. John needs guys who've been in the NBA for a decade plus. Uh, you know, would there be any better situation like a Miami or uh, like a, uh, I don't know. Udonis you, you Haslam. You, you don't, well, Udonis is retiring, but I can't imagine he wouldn't be at least close to Miami uh, even after this finals is over and, and uh, all the veteran leadership they got there. We got a comment even here. Even if he retired. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. 
No, okay, yeah, we got a comment from our guy, uh, Patrick Brown, our grid teammate here. Uh, Patrick says, Johnny should take accountability for his actions. Bottom line, I'm thinking a full season. The enabling behavior has, has, is an issue which has not been addressed. Uh, and again, I even saw um, I even saw Adam Silver on, I think it was Dan Patrick's show today. I wouldn't go that far. I wouldn't go for an entire season. Yeah, I, I, I doubt it's going to be a full season, yeah. but I, I saw um, Adam Silver was on Dan Patrick's podcast, not podcast, a radio show, and uh, he like cr- almost like I cracked a joke about the situation. Okay, mm-hmm. like if he's if he's comfortable enough to to, to joke about it, then it, it feels like the hammer is probably going to get dropped in jaw. And plus he mentioned two, and then we'll move on. <laughs> he mentioned that uh, the Players Association was heavily involved in this. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So, you know, and they, we, we know as far mm-hmm. as suspensions go, we saw with the Deshaun Watson situation last year. I know it's a different league, but the Players Association and the league office does not always agree on these type of situations. So the fact that they, it appears, did with Ja uh, certainly says a lot. Two, sticking sort of in the Western Conference to another point guard, actually. Uh, it appears Chris Paul's days in Phoenix have come to an end, according to Chris Haynes. Uh, they have waived him, and he is now. I, I'm seeing some conflicting reports saying also they're trying to look for a trade partner. I doubt that's the case, just because of the fact that uh, listen, CP3 is up there at age. His contract isn't all that um, appeasing. That's the teams that would want to acquire him. What what what's what's your takeaway on Phoenix appearing to cut ties with CP3? And do you what do you think the market is for him? Because there's one team in mind that I actually think makes sense. But I'd like to hear your take. And I'm assuming that's the Lakers. No, I think the Lakers is a disaster. <laughs> I know. Uh, I, 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 I would I think only say Lakers. Sense. His relationship with Braun, you and mine, Los Angeles. Um, what I look at it is it's obviously because of money, because again, he would have made $30 million in Phoenix in 2023. And I think Phoenix wanted to save up some money, probably go with someone younger who they feel like they can go forward with CP three does have injury issues. So that adds to factor. And given the fact that he's 38 years old, I don't know what where it is for CP3. I know even if he retires, he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. That's a no brainer. He's gonna he's one of the top ten greatest point guards of all time in NBA history. I don't know which team that can possibly land him. It could be a small market, big market. I just feel like having a veteran like Chris Paul there, you're going to get that. Parnell's, I think I think we're having he, some connection issues with Parnell. You, you still there? You still there? Paul is competitive. He has he's very knowledgeable about the game of basketball. I think. Hold on. I think I think we're having some connection issues with uh, Parnell right now. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'm still here. Uh, can you hear me? I hear you. I your your uh, um, your video quality is, is is like frozen there. Let's see. I don't know okay. Okay, it's starting to come back me? now. I, I can no, I can hear you fine. You're, you're starting to come back now. You're starting to come back. I think, yeah, I can hear right, you. Can you no, hear me? I can hear you. Your your audio's fine. Your video's sort okay. of spotty, but it, yeah, it's coming back. Are, are I got good? you. I got you now. 
I totally got you now. So what were you saying though about Chris Paul? You're talking about his leadership and and whatnot, knowledge of the game of basketball. <laughs> okay. I think if you put CP3 on any team, he, you will get the most out of your team. We've seen it before. We've seen it with New Orleans, the um, the Clippers. We saw it in Oklahoma City Thunder, Houston. So I believe having Chris Paul on a team is a plus. But has the championship window closed with CP3? Yes, I do. He'll get to the playoffs. At best case, Western Conference semifinals or Eastern Conference semifinals. But that's it. I don't see him going back to an NBA Finals. Well, that's all going to be hinged on where he goes. Here's the team I had in mind that I actually think makes a ton of sense, uh, especially if they don't have to trade for him if he's uh, out in the market as a free agent. I think the Boston Celtics, Celtics. makes all the sense in the world because Boston is a team that, you know, they're not going to ask CP3 to play. They need a point guard. They're not going to ask CP3 to play 65, 70-plus games. Uh, they have now Malcolm Brogdon is more of a pure point guard than Marcus Smart is, but he comes off the bench. He's more comfortable coming off the bench. You're able to bring a guy like Chris Paul in. Make uh, if you're able to keep Jalen Brown too, that's going to key for Boston in terms of competing next year. But Brown's your two. You got Tatum, and you got obviously plenty of interchangeable guys like White, Horford, Robert Williams, who's just getting better every year. You got Grant Williams, who probably isn't coming back, so we'll see what happens with that. And you got Malcolm Brogdon coming off the bench. And I, I, I said about Boston that do they need to retool their roster? Some sure. But I didn't feel like this is an offseason for them, like, say, for Philadelphia, where it's kind of everybody's in panic mode. We don't know what to do. Listen, you were a game away from the NBA Finals after you just got there last year. You're like, you're not that far away from uh, from winning a title. And I'm still I'm still confident that Jalen Brown and, and Jason Tatum are a duo that is capable of winning a title. They almost they were two wins away from doing it last year. But I think Boston makes sense. Would you give Brown that extension if you're Boston? That's it's a lot. But again, I, I've sort of come to the conclusion with. Jalen Brown with the market for him as I do with with quarterbacks. People freak out about, oh, my God, you know, two years ago. Oh, how could you pay Dak Prescott $40 million? Well, two years later, he's like the 10th highest paid quarterback in the league. Like, the market eventually evens itself out. Uh, so I think with Jalen Brown, that'll be the same situation. And, again, who are you – what are you – what are you going to spend that money on that's going to equate to what Jalen Brown gives you on a night-to-night basis? That's That would be my question for the Boston Celtics. That's I would bring him back. Okay. But if you bring him back, he, he clearly has to work on his handle. Oh, absolutely. He no, has that's, to that's work the hole in his game. Yeah. That's, that's but, the whole um, thing. But, game. yeah, I could see CP3 coming in as the Boston Celtics. He doesn't have to play that many games. Just make sure he's healthy enough to get ready for the playoffs. That's all. I'm with you. By the way, another team, not a playoff team, but a team that I think actually uh, might make a little bit of sense is the San Antonio Spurs. That's a good mentor for for Victor Wimbanyama. So, you know, Spurs would be competitive if they got him. Maybe. I do think that next year's rookie class is going to be exciting, not because of the players that are going to be drafted, but we're also forgetting one player who did not play in his rookie year, and that's Shet Holmgren. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So Victor and Shet. The the seven footers, you know, the bigs, the the tall, skinny dudes, they're now back. So we're gonna see which one has the higher ceiling, which one who's gonna win rookie of the year. So it is gonna be exciting. I actually love Wimbayama in San Antonio, of course, with Greg Popovich and um of course Tim Duncan there, the organization. He he's gonna be fine. The question I have with Victor. Not his game or anything. Like, what are they going to do, like, as far as with his rookie year? Just his rookie year, because in the future, I believe that he's going to stand out. I believe he's going to be special. 
how are they going to utilize him in his rookie year? Like, what things are they going to help him learn? I mean, I think I think he's obviously going to be the starting big right off the bat. I mean, listen, he's a guy because of the 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 generational talent that he is. Um, you could plug him into almost every situation imaginable. I, I think again, him going to San Antonio, I'm with you. There's there's not that many organizations of the league that develops their young stars the way the Spurs do. Uh, so I, I think he's going to be spectacular. I, I think in terms of you know what he needs to work on, I think that's that. Listen, that's up to, for the Spurs to decide. He's got a solid handle, but again. He is seven four. Like there's, I, I guess there's only so much of a handle that a guy who's who's that size, that that length can be. But uh, you know, it's definitely gonna be exciting. I was talking to um, to Mike Guido on Monday on the show, and he's he like everybody else. He 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 loves the kid. He's gonna be special. Um, let's see. Do we? I think we had a. I guess we do have one more NFL question. So uh, you wanted to talk about the the uh, Josh Allen story, him being on the cover of Madden twenty four. What I thought about initially is obviously Josh is a top three, top four quarterback in the league. He's 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 spectacular. Um. I personally thought it was going to be Jalen Hurts because usually they tend to. And, and again, I think Jalen, I'm not saying he's a, like a one hit wonder. I, I'm not insinuating that in any sh- way, shape or form. I think he's going to be going to have a fantastic career, but oftentimes a guy has a breakout season and then he's in the cover. Josh Allen didn't have that great of a year by his standards a year ago. Uh, what was your thoughts on, on, on Josh being the cover of the new Madden 24 video game? I don't have a problem with it. I actually thought it was going to be Burrow that was going to be on the cover oh, okay. of Madden Joe Burrow. But Josh Allen, to your point, yeah, he did kind of disappoint me last year. I actually had Josh Allen winning the MVP last year because I thought this was going to be the year for the Buffalo Bills. And they lost in the divisional round to, of course, the Cincinnati Bengals. So I don't know what's going to happen with Buffalo him and Stefan Diggs, it's been rumored that Stefan Diggs, is he going to stay there that long? Only time will tell. Buffalo, they're not going to get DeAndre Hopkins. Okay, they added um, the tight end from Utah, which I think it's great. You need another weapon for Josh Allen to throw the football to. I actually have Joe Burrow winning the MVP. Okay. So as far as the championship game i think this is going to be I, I got buffalo versus cincinnati buffalo versus kansas cincinnati city i think this get... is going to be a year in which kansas city wow that's yeah as shocking as that sounds i mean at some point it has to end i mean they've been to five consecutive afc championship games i know it sounds crazy but i think i don't see kansas city winning the number being the number one seed in the afc again Maybe at best second or third. I'm not saying they they will or won't be the the one seed. I, I I don't know. Listen, since Mahomes got there, it has essentially been the Arrowhead Invitational. Mahomes has yet to play a road playoff game. Heck, I, I even made a joke that um, this Super Bowl against Philadelphia is the first time he's ever worn a white uniform uh, in, in an NFL playoff game, which shows you how great Kansas City's <laughs> been at getting that stage. I mean, there. Um, I don't I don't know about Kansas City not getting the title game, but I guess you're right. Listen, there's got to be some year, and the AFC is. We're forgetting about Jacksonville too. I'm telling you, I really like Jacksonville this year. Like we're we're forgetting about some of the young, talented quarterbacks uh, that's in that conference. But uh, Parnell, before we get out of here, tell everybody where they can find you and find your show. Oh yes, find me on Commander's Demand on the Grid Network. Um, the newest episode, Dirt Off Your Shoulder, just released today. So go check that out. It's discussing Emmanuel Forbes not being mentioned on the rookie list as far as defensive rookie, uh, defensive rookie of the year. Also. Eric Bieniemy, the offensive coordinator, his praise for Sam Howell. Also, Chase Young um, participating in mandatory minicamp 
Meanwhile, there are reports about the commanders trading him. So go check a look on that. I will come up with some more commanders demand stuff. And as you know, my YouTube channel, Sports PSP, I just released a couple of videos last night regarding the Nuggets. And of course, the, the news regarding Zion Williamson. Oh, and I'll Lord. leave it at that. Yeah, we, we, this is a family friendly show, Parnell. We're going to leave, leave it there. Lord have mercy. He's, 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 go he's check a... me out on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok. Um, I will come up with as much sports content as I can. And, you know, that's it. You're the man, Parnell. Ever since you joined the network, I, I'm telling you, man, you've gotten better and better every single show I've listened to you watch um, or watch and listen to you on, on, on Commander's Demand. It's a great podcast. Everybody check it out in the grid. Parnell, definitely going to have you on the show again soon, my man. Have a good one. Thank you, man. You too, man. Take it easy. Yes, sir. That was Parnell of the Commander's Demand Podcast, also Sports PSP, putting out some fantastic content uh, on the grid and on his uh, YouTube platforms, doing a fantastic job. Uh, I, I really like the point that he brought up, and, and I think we're in agreement about earlier when we were talking about the Miami Heat that, again, I, I don't think – I don't think Miami's issue in this game was all the outside of the three point shooting, obviously. And he mentioned guys like Martin Vincent and um, and Max Struess did not play well whatsoever. But uh, I'm seeing a lot of I'm seeing a lot of uh, Jimmy Butler criticism, and that's fine after game one. Jimmy didn't play well in game one. He was fine, I thought, in, in game three. Again, I, it was when you get, got a guy going 30, 20, 10, another guy go 34, 10, and 10, and then you get a rookie come off the bench going seven for eight. <laughs> It's, I don't care if you're at home, if you're on the road, if you're on the moon, you're not winning that basketball game. So, uh, listen, hats off to the Denver Nuggets again, 2 1 series lead. Parnell has uh, the Nuggets in six. I've heard a lot of other people say Nuggets in six. And uh, listen, but them winning two out of three doesn't exactly seem out of the realm of possibility. I had Heat in six. So, that would require them to do the exact same thing that my Golden State Warriors did last year, which is go down 2 1 and then win the last three. Basically, a little little short three-game sweep situation there. Uh, then again, as great as Miami is, and he, it, Miami, y'all know I, I backed y'all all season long. Y'all, y'all don't have Steph Curry. You got playoff Jimmy. You ain't got, you ain't got the babyface assassin. That that we do know. That we do know. There's no shot at Miami. It's just hey, nobody has Steph Curry. I'm going to be sad when he retires. Anyways, speaking of the Golden State Warriors, it actually plays right into the last topic I was going to do on today's show. Uh, Steve Kerr was on the Draymond Green show, which might I add once again is a fantastic basketball and sports podcast for anybody out there who's interested in listening. Draymond does an amazing job. Hashtag the new media. Anyway, Steve Kerr, head coach of the Golden State Warriors, was on Draymond's podcast following game two. And listen, folks might think I'm reading too much into this, but here's what you got to remember. Steve Kerr is a former member of the media. Like when after he you know was was an executive with the Phoenix Suns, he left to join. I think it was TNT uh, calling games for them before he eventually became the, the head coach of, of the Warriors. Steve Kerr knows how this business works. Like he knows how to to use the media to use whatever platform he's given to to send a message. Same thing that Mike Malone did in a more direct form, less passive aggressive form, but sort of what Michael Malone did after the Nuggets lost Game Two. And just take a listen to what Steve Kerr said. He's talking about the Miami Heat. He's talking about some of the role players that step up and know their roles and whatnot. Just listen to what Steve Kerr said uh, on Draymond's podcast. And it's like none of those guys on Miami are, are, are sitting there saying, well, I didn't play, or, man, they put in so-and-so. Like, they're just all about winning. 
and and you know this from from our our groups that we've had when when you when you have that championship mentality every guy's bought in every guy's just trying to win nobody nobody cares about any of that stuff you don't go into the locker room you know saying well i should have played more you just you just want to win and that's the beauty of finding that magic when you have a championship team is that everybody's bought in and it makes the decisions for the coach um really simple you just go with go with your gut and go with whoever's playing well Hmm. Doesn't that seem a little uh, uh, specific? <laughs> Doesn't that sound like it's aimed at certain individuals? <clears throat> Jonathan Kaminga, <clears throat> Jordan Poole. Now, Kaminga, I'm not as hard on because I, I do think Kaminga, and I've said this since the day he was drafted, uh, said on the 2021 draft show that we did here on Carving It Up, now he's going to be a superstar in the NBA. I really do. I think he's going to make multiple all-star games. The problem is he is 20 years old and he is raw. But once he develops into what he's capable of being, watch out NBA. Jonathan Kaminga is going to be one of the better players in the NBA. But you remember after that series, actually it might have been even during the Sacramento series, the story certainly came out when the Warriors lost to the Lakers in the second round, that Jonathan Kaminga wasn't pleased with his minutes. He didn't like this Kerr, really didn't play him all that much at all in the postseason. And then you have the, the, the original culprit of this now dead 2023 Golden State Warriors season by the name of Jordan Poole. And Jordan Poole, remember after game four, I want to make sure I'm getting a stats right because I don't want to butcher it, um, but Jordan Poole just in short was, um, oh, he's terrible. In game four of the series, he's bad all series long outside of game one against the Lakers. Game four in particular, though, Jordan Poole was, uh, he was a force to be reckoned with, but that actually actually helped the Lakers hurt the team he was playing for, the Warriors. Jordan Poole in game four against the Lakers, he played a grand total of 10 minutes. He went 0 for 4 from the field, 0 for 2 from 3, and scored as many points as you and I did unless you played in that game. Remember Jordan Poole after that game? Remember, Kareth Burke was talking about for NBC Sports Bay Area that after the game, Jordan Poole was in his locker, had music, had like his um, his JBL speaker or whatever, playing music, and the media, so people in the media like ask him a few questions. And Jordan Poole was, I think he had his, like his back turned to the media. He wasn't making eye contact with anybody. And reportedly, Andrew Wiggins and Clay Thompson were standing nearby and were just disgusted with it. And we've had multiple instances with the Warriors over the past nine months where players and coaches alike have been disgusted with Jordan Poole. Starting with the Draymond Green situation, which again, I don't defend Draymond punching the guy. Uh, again, physical violence I don't think is ever the answer to to really anything in life. But uh, you could see Draymond is, Draymond's known as a hothead. But he's not, a, he's not somebody known for socking his own teammates. The fact that it was Jordan Poole and what transpired over the following over the ensuing nine months told me everything I need to know. That Poole was arguably the best sixth man in the NBA. Warriors would not have won the championship last season if not for his contributions, uh, especially that first round series against Denver when Steph Curry's coming off of an injury. He's come off the bench. Poole is in the starting lineup and plays unbelievable and played well the rest of the playoffs long, overwhelmingly so. But he got that contract. 
and the hierarchy of the Golden State Warriors looked a little bit different in Jordan Poole's head than it did in Steve Kerr, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, and Klay Thompson's head. And that's when the disconnect started to happen. That's when you saw Steph Curry literally get thrown out of a basketball game. He got so mad at Jordan Poole where, there, if you haven't seen the situation, Warriors are up by two against the Memphis Grizzlies, about a minute left. Uh, I think it was Clay missed a shot, but the Warriors got the offensive rebound. They kicked it out to Poole, who's just a couple steps in, in inside of half court. Again, the Warriors are up two, and he jacks a long three, misses it, and Steph Curry runs to the other end, takes his mouthpiece out, and just chucks it. He's so pissed at Jordan Poole, gets thrown out of the game. You saw a situation where... Um, uh, Jordan Poole got a technical foul against the Cavaliers. I remember this game. You can go look it up. And Steve Kerr is just chewing him out on the bench. You had an instance against the Oklahoma City Thunder where there was like a uh, there was a miss pass because Jordan Poole was was uh, you know it was, it, was, it was a wrong motion or something, and Draymond threw a, a bad pass, got picked off, and Draymond was just livid with Poole. And they had the instance that I, incident that I was talking about with the Lakers. That feels like a very very, sp again, specific message to Kaminga and to Jordan Poole. And again, it goes to what I said almost immediately after the Warrior, or not immediately, the first show after the Warrior season ended when I had to wear a freaking Laker jersey because of a bet I lost. Anyways, that this offseason, I don't think it necessarily needs like drastic changes in Golden State. Steph is still, worst case, the second best player in planet Earth. And I saw on a... Um, I saw on a podcast recently somebody said that Steph Curry is slowing down. You watched a different Steph Curry than I did. I maybe you watched Dell Curry like back in the the early two thousands or the nineties. Uh, maybe you watched Dell and I watched Steph. I, I don't know. He's um, he's still pretty good. But you got the second best player in the world. Worst case scenario, Clay Thompson. While he had a terrible series against the Lakers, and I won't excuse you know how he played for a for even a second. He did lead the NBA in three pointers made this year. Like Clay had a very good season prior to the playoffs. He's fully capable of returning to his old playoff form once again. One Again, another season removed off of his most recent surgery. Draymond, don't know if anybody's paying attention. He's really getting old, I tell you what. Yeah, he's second team all defense again. Played well in the postseason. Was huge against the Sacramento Kings. Andrew Wiggins, again, missed two months because of a family emergency. Came back, and it's like he never missed a beat. Played excellent. Andrew Wiggins, one of the better two-way Wings in the NBA. Kavon Looney locked up for the long term in Golden State. Probably the best offensive rebounding big in basketball. You have Gary Payton II coming off the bench. One of the better uh, perimeter guards uh, defenders in the NBA. I don't think you need all that much. Just drastic changes. Obviously, everybody in the West is going to be gunning for Denver. Whether Miami wins a championship or not, reality is to get to the finals, you're going to have to go through the Denver Nuggets next year, assuming knock on wood they're healthy. I think the only adjustment Golden State needs to make this offseason, sign a bunch of veterans. It's what they did a couple of years ago. Otto Porter Jr., Namidia Bielitsa. That's when they brought in Gary Payton. They even, and they cut this guy, but they brought in Avery Bradley uh, in training camp. Like bringing guys who, again, as I use this phrase all the time, but who've been there and done that, it really does go a long ways. You obviously move on from Jordan Poole at this point. The, re the relationship between him, Draymond, and him and Steve Kerr, for that matter, is too fractured that you, you, you can't bring him back. There was clearly a disconnect between Poole, the rest of the Warriors' locker room. You cannot bring him back to Golden State next year. There's a lot of teams that will take a guy who averaged 20 points a game and averaged like 26, I think, when Steph was out of the lineup. 
There's been plenty, plenty of takers. Now, I will, I will die in this hill. I'm willing to do so. That, you know, if the Lakers want Jordan Poole and Jonathan Kaminga, and I really don't want to give up Moses Moody because I've always been a Moses Moody fan, but if we have to, okay. Some, some first-round picks. Uh, to get that LeBron James guy from the, from the Lakers. I mean, if, if they want to do it. I mean, I'm not, I'm not exactly against it. So LeBron, I'll say it again. You are more than welcome to come to the Golden State. You are more than welcome to come to Golden State and tie. If not, if you want to play this long, surpass your idol, Michael Jordan in titles. And your new buddy, Draymond Green, help him get to six or seven or Steph Curry, uh, getting himself into the, like that top three, like the Mount Rushmore players of all time with six or seven titles. LeBron, you are more than welcome to come to the Golden State. Bottom line is the Warriors need to trade Jordan Poole. That's what I'm getting at. Uh, we got to move on from Poole, 100%. But that message by Steve Kerr was very, very specific and absolutely had a meaning behind it. And hats off to Coach. All right, that is all the time we have for today's show. Appreciate everybody for stopping by. Big shout-out and a big thank you to Parnell of the Commander's Demand Podcast. You can check out his stuff here on The Grid and his other uh, his other account, Sports PSP, on YouTube and all social media platforms where he's more of like, he talks more about, uh, you know, the NBA, the NFL, more of a general sports guy uh, on that channel. If you're a big Washington Commanders fan or just an NFL fan, check out the Commanders Demand podcast on the grid uh, anywhere you get your podcast. Obviously, be sure to like, share, comment, and take two seconds out of your day. Hit that big red subscribe button. It helps the channel grow exponentially. And would you please go subscribe to the aforementioned grid network? That is GRY. YD, the Grid Podcast Network, any and everywhere you get your podcast, be it Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, and any and everywhere you listen to your favorite podcast, of which I certainly hope mine is a part of that. If not, it kind of hurts my feelings a little bit. Uh, be sure to go subscribe also to Carving It Up on YouTube and the Grid Network on YouTube. Have a great evening, everybody. I'll see y'all tomorrow to talk about Game 4, the NBA Finals, amongst another uh, wide range. we got a lot going on in sports right now of stories in the world of sports. Have a great evening, everybody. Please continue to stay safe out there. Please be sure to take care of your physical as well as your mental health, and please be sure to contact your local state representatives and senators to demand change for gun violence in America. Have a great evening, everybody. God bless y'all. Peace out. Come on, LeBron. You know you want to do it. Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube. Be sure to click that big red subscribe button and go check out the other clips and full shows of Carving It Up Live. Have a blessed day. Seeing is believing, and you're not going to believe how bright and vivid the colors are on the Samsung Neo QLED and OLED TVs powered by the Neural Quantum Processor. Because this is an audio ad. Unless you can see it, which means you already have one. Nice. Samsung, more wow than ever.